0: And welcome to the Science and the City podcast, your gateway to the New York Academy of Sciences. I'm your host, Tamara Johnson. Recently, a paper on climate science was published by an unusual author. Wizard Radagast the Brown, foregoing magic for computer models, simulated the climate of Tolkien's Middle Earth, and compared it to the climates of modern-day Earth and the Earth from the late Cretaceous period. Tolkien fans will recognize Radagast the Brown as a sort of magical environmentalist wizard friend of Gandalf's. It's also, in this case, a pseudonym for University of Bristol climate scientist, Dr. Dan Lunt. Dr. Lunt studies paleoclimatology. The study of past climates helps us better understand the processes that brought us to where we are today and also helps us to make better predictions about the future.
1: A climate simulation of Middle Earth seemed to be like a good idea that would catch people's imagination and allow us you know, to, to get their attention and get them interested in climate science and at the same time, um, because we actually wrote this... Um, this sort of mock article, in which there's actually, you know, quite a few serious points about climate change and also about our work on past climate. So it seemed a good way of communicating in general about climate and climate science and climate modelling in particular.
0: In this podcast, Dr. Lunt, A.K.A. Radagast the Brown, explains the quote-unquote magic of climate science in a debate with an angry Orokai climate change denialist. Enjoy.
2: Besides Saruman. Wizards are always doing pointless, impractical things. cast the Brown model an imaginary world, and a world from ages past. These tell us nothing about here and now. Nothing
1: does have an application in terms of future climate change and that whenever groups or people are interested in future climate change, then those predictions are always really gonna be based on climate modelling. So they're going to be based on model simulations of the future. And so obviously a very important question is how good are those models? And very often they're just compared with, you know, their prediction for the present day or for a few hundred years ago, or, you know, or even just the last few decades is compared with observational data that, that humans have made, you know, from meteorological stations around Middle Earth. But actually, if we go back further in time then we get a much in some ways a a, a a sterner test of the model in some ways because you can test our understanding through the model simulations of how climate has changed from climate from clim- past climates as diverse as the last ice age 20,000 years ago right up to super greenhouse climates for example of you know about 100 million years ago where you've got really high levels of atmospheric greenhouse gases and in fact higher probably than even than those levels that we expect to reach by the end of the century um, due to due to human emissions you know these are naturally very very warm climates millions of years ago and actually by simulating these with our models we have from the geological record we have some observations of what the climate and environment we think was like then in the past and we can test our climate models in super warm Um, past climate worlds and that gives us that allows us to evaluate our models and assess how confident we might be in our future climate simulations
2: this is just so much scaremongering wizardry a misleading attempt to scare the public of middle earth this is really just about wizard politics radagast wants saruman to stop burning the fangorn forest simply because he hates orc industry what do these simulations really show us anyhow? Nobody knows these so called models are just magic tricks illusions that don't tell us anything real
1: so you know models have changed a lot over the over the years so in the past if you you know if you go back well and even now it 's done a little bit like this, um where the forecasting was done by looking at charts of what the temperature and pressure was now from various weather stations around Middle Earth and, and using experience. But it was actually about a hundred years ago was the first time that someone thought, well we're not gonna do our weather forecasts like that, but we're gonna try and actually do them by looking at the fundamental science, the fundamental sort of fluid dynamics and the equations of motion of the of the atmosphere. And we'll try we'll write those equations down and try and solve them and sort of carry forward those equations forward in time for the next few days. And make a prediction of the of the future climate that way and actually the, 100 years ago they didn't have computers so they've done on a slide rule or something you know by hand um, and then but gradually as computers became you know came online and became more and more powerful then actually almost all weather forecasting is done and climate modeling is done on very large supercomputers and basically what's changed over the years is that the you know the, the fundamental equa- equations of motion that are being solved in in terms of the atmospheric and ocean movement actually haven't changed. You know the equations haven't changed over that time. What has changed the the biggest thing that's changed is that the models have got higher and higher resolution. So what what I mean by that is that they can they can reproduce and simulate and predict. Um, Processes in the atmosphere and in the ocean at a smaller spatial scale. So the way the models work is they divide the world up into a very large number of boxes, effectively going layered all over the Earth and going up in the atmosphere and and down in the ocean, layered upon each other. And actually, these the boxes are the sort of the smallest unit, if you like, that you can make predictions um, and predict climate and make weather forecasts at. And And these boxes have got smaller and smaller over time. As the computers get more and more powerful and so what that means you can talk about climate change on a on a a finer and finer spatial scale and also you better represent a lot of the processes that are important in the atmosphere and ocean also the models have got more complete in that if you go back 30 years or so then actually the vast majority of the models were just atmospheric models and they ignored the ocean completely or they they ignored um, circulation in the ocean they just just included the very the very topmost surface of the ocean Um, so gradually over time the models have included more and more parts of the system like so first of all they started including the ocean then they started including changes in vegetation they start including changes in atmospheric chemistry in the representation of um, ice sheets and gradually we're including more and more of the system so these are becoming rather than climate models we're beginning to call them middle earth system models because they include so much more and they also at the same time as that change is happening they're also getting finer and finer resolution and so really that's the development that's um, been going on over the last over the last few decades and basically it's because partly because our understanding of the important processes have improved but a lot of it is actually as computer power increases we're able to make the models more complete and more at more higher resolution.
2: The Inter-Kingdom Panel on Climate Change is trying to trick Middle Earth. Their report claims you climate wizards are 95 percent certain that the inhabitants of Middle Earth are causing global warming. You're just trying to trick us with number magic. What does that even mean?
1: Nothing. There isn't all the IPCC and all our future climate predictions are not just carried out by one model there are a, a very large number of models that are involved now. And they're all, they tend to be, these different models tend to be developed by different uh, climate centres around Middle Earth. Though so there are, um, you know, lots and lots of countries contribute to the IPCC report by by carrying out a sort of standard set of predictions of the future. And everyone does it with a different model. And because there are different ways that you can represent what the what we think the important processes are in terms of climate change, then all these models will give a different answer. And also, what's more, with even if you've got one model, one model can actually give you very many different answers because you can set it up in very slightly different ways. Now, you can, for example, one of the things in, uh, in all climate models, there are certain key numbers where actually we, we don't know, from our observations of the modern climate, we don't actually know exactly... What that number should be, for example, um, the one one example is is the relative humidity at which clouds start to form, averaged over a certain um, spatial scale. And so, what you can do is you can actually put a number of different valid, equally valid um, numbers into your climate model, and actually get very many different equally valid predictions of the future. And so, you've got multiple models and and all these different models can also um, make multiple predictions. And so from that, maybe for some of these climate predictions, you have climate scenarios, you might have hundreds of different possible futures. And when people talk about percentages, one of the things that they can mean is that, 90, for, for example, your example of 97%, it could be, in that case, for example, that 97% of the models showed that um, statement X. Um, so so that 's one way is it can those percentages can come from looking at what a number of different simulations um, say. Another thing is that when you have some observational data for the modern climate, then there's some un- some uncertainty in actually what the modern climate is and for example, if there 's a lot of variability year on year, um, then it might be that you know of the hundred years ninety seven of them um, showed one thing, whereas three showed another. So there are various different ways that there are various different things that those quantitative uh, percentages come in from the IPCC IPCC report. But when they do give quantitative percentages like that, like the ninety-seven percent, then there is some basis underlying that in terms of sort of the statistical analysis of a certain number of simulations. the 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 IPCC report also contains a number of sort of more qualitative measures of uncertainty and they for example talk about talk about medium confidence compared with high confidence compared with um, very high confidence and those tend to come more from um, experts like I say experts reviewing the various different lines of evidence and taking into account how much evidence um, there is for for um, a particular statement the strength of that evidence in um, in terms of you know are they very very recent new untested methods or are they very old established methods and so so that is yeah there is there's a mixture of sort of more quantitative statements that come from statistical um, or analysis of the statistics of the simulations versus these sort of more qualitative um, I- expressions of, of uncertainty that come from um, the experts themselves.
2: You climate wizards yourself admit that you have uncertainty. Why should anyone listen to you?
1: Yeah, because of the nature of the climate system, there will always be uncertainty in our predictions. Middle Earth is such a complex system with so many different interacting parts over such a large scale that you know it's impossible to completely monitor it all the time and completely understand or... Or simulate all the in important processes that are going on. Um, so there will always be a level of uncertainty in our future project, future projections. But at the moment, that level of uncertainty is really, for example, if you talk about climate, global warming, which is you know, which is only one part of the whole story. Of course, there are you know, in terms of human impacts, you know, sea level, sea level change, and changes to rainfall and and drought are equally if not more important than change in temperature. But if we just um, consider temperature for the moment, then there will be a range of uncertainty in terms of um, what our future projections of, for example, global, you know, averaged over the whole globe, what the temperature change is going to be. But at the moment, that uncertainty is, is not, are we going to warm or are we going to cool? It's how much are we going to warm by? Um, and this last IPCC report has put some... You know, quite robust limits on the lower bound of that warming, and so the question is: is you know, I I think is is saying, well, even in the most optimistic case, and by the optimistic case, of course, I mean the you know the least climate change, because you know, climate scientists are as concerned about anyone as the future, and what we want is you know the minimum amount of change possible, if you like. Um, But even given what we think is the lowest limit of. Future warming that still could have um, some very some very big impacts and the the case for climate change itself has really been proven now and we've got some very robust results about the ranges or the likely sort of distribution of possible um, certainly in terms of certainly in terms of temperature of of possible futures. Now the real question now is what impact is that going to have on human society and on ecosystems. And that suddenly becomes a question that's beyond the realm, really, of climate, climate scientists, but becomes um, a partly a sociological question, p- partly a question about um, biological systems, also about, and then the other question is then, well, what should we do about it? And then that becomes a political question, again, an economic question, a sociological question. And so the IPCC can only really go as far as saying this is what the science says, and the science says that if we... Emit this much um, carbon dioxide at this particular speed, then this is what we think the impacts are going to be in terms of the fundamental climatic variables like temperature, rainfall, storm frequency, drought frequency, and then really it's, it then goes into the hands of people who think about the impacts of that.
2: Nonsense! The orakai have found some magical experts of our own who refute your claims! Saruman says there's no consensus on Middle Earth
1: warming. You're lying. Climate skeptics. Those are the people who tend just to get wheeled out to try and damn the science. But you know, and I don't think re- there are n- there are very, 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 very few scientists out there who actually take that take that seriously. You probably notice that it's always the same people wheeled out who are trying to. Um, condemn the climate science if you like but really the important question and the interesting question is well what, what should we do about it and what level of climate change do we think we can live with compared with um, at what point do we actually need to do something about about it and how much should we do and, and how fast and those are much are much harder questions and actually that's really where it becomes a much more open debate I think um, in terms of, for example, where should we put our investment? Where should we invest our money? Should it be in a, a treatment for malaria, for example, or should it be on um, moving over to a low carbon economy? You know, and are those two things exclusive anyway? So there are some very interesting questions in terms of what we should we do about it. In terms of the climate science itself, you know, that is that really is settled in the minds and understanding of ninety nine point nine nine percent of scientists out there.
2: Roar! Just the other week, it was really very cold. A magical vortex plagued the land. Ha-ha! Obviously, middle-earth warming is a ridiculous lie. Roar!
1: Um, You know, the climate system is very counterintuitive sometimes, and it can be that increases in carbon dioxide, which on the global average cause a warming to the whole Earth as a whole, can actually you know in some particular years and some particular regions actually also result in it being cooler than it might have been otherwise but the other thing you have to be very very careful about in terms of single events or single years or single seasons is that the climate system is also hugely variable year on year and there have always been cold snaps and there have always been warm spells and and droughts and floods and that's something that human race has lived with for millennia. Um, in fact and so as from one particular person's viewpoint actually seeing the effects of climate change can be very very difficult actually in fact impossible and can be extremely misleading just looking at the experience of one particular country or one particular region in the world over just a very small number of years can be hugely misleading because the climate system is so variable year on year and one thing we can be sure of is that even with Continued global warming. We will still have some very cold years, but the thing is, is that on the average, an average over a whole the whole world, an averaged over many years of, of averaging, if you like, looking at the very long term trends, is that there will be a warming. But that certainly doesn't rule out um, future cold snaps. It's a bit like rolling two dice, like you play Monopoly or something. You know, every year you roll the dice, and that's going to be your climate for that year and there are sometimes when you throw two ones and it's a very cold year now what global warming does is it almost it starts weighting the dice towards the higher numbers but actually it still means you can still throw a double one and still get a very cold year it just means that after doing many many tens or hundreds of throws then the average starts starts warming up so that's one way of of thinking about it is that you know you there's nothing to rule out the fact that you are going to occasionally throw um a cold you know throw with your dice cold years if you like so um so that's one aspect it's just the random is the global warming is all about a slowly increasing warmth well it depends how you define slowly but an increasing warmth on the average in the long-term trend but on top of that you do have a huge amount of variability and so because of that, you get a lot of anecdotal evidence of, oh, you know, the last two or three years have been very cold or, or what have you. But actually, you need to take the global viewpoint and a and much longer timescale viewpoint to really get an understanding of what the real statistics are of, of climate change.
2: Only Sauron can see so far. No Palantir can give you such vision. You dare to challenge the knowledge of
1: Sauron? That's actually where the network of meteorological observational uh, data, um, so that infrastructure that's been sort of steadily growing over the years, becomes incredibly important, actually, in terms of getting actually a really good understanding of how the global average climate is changing, because it's actually something that's much harder to do than perhaps people realise, is knowing how the whole Middle Earth, as an average, is, its climate is changing. We rely on satellite data, which is not always perfect if it's very cloudy, for example, um, or a lot of aerosols in the atmosphere. And apart from that, we actually rely on observational data. So we're we're quite strong in some ways to, for example, where, in terms of ocean temperatures, partly where shipping is going and partly where we have networks of buoys in the ocean that can observe um, sort of trends in temperature over the years and then various network over land. But there are places where we actually have quite a lot where the, ima- the data, if you like, just of what climate is doing now is actually quite lacking. For example, in parts of the Southern Ocean, where there's perhaps some observational data in the oceans lacking as well.
2: Whatever. Sauron will enslave you all anyway. Oh, I mean, between magic and Saruman's mighty new technologies, we don't need to worry about these pessimistic wizard outlooks anyway.
1: Well, you know, the point is, is the longer that you ignore it and the longer you don't do anything about it, the, m- the bigger the larger the impacts are going to be. Um, exactly how much bigger they were, going to, we're going to be, there's quite a lot of uncertainty there, but the, you know, one thing that we are sure about is that as the longer we leave it, the worse it's going to be.
0: That's it for this Science in the City podcast, which will be part of a series on sustainability generously funded by the Brotherton Foundation. For more, visit scienceinthecity.org. You can also follow us on social media, we're Sci and the City on Twitter and Science and the City on Facebook. Thanks for listening.